My name's Kendra Houseman from Out of the Shadows, and you're about to listen to a series of interviews that took place over nine months. I want to know what life would be like for a child that had been through domestic abuse, parental mental health, poverty, and exploitation, to name a few. What would happen if we created a team, an army almost, to support that child? 28 people were interviewed, all with the same question in mind. What could have been different for child B? You're about to listen to Blondie's People. So follow us on our journey where I will speak to everyone from George the Poet to some of my good friends as we discover what it takes to become one of Blondie's people. Within these episodes, you will find answers, you will find guidance, and most of all, you will find an insight to a world that many do not know. There's a trigger warning for some of these episodes, and some of them are not child-friendly. We're going to talk about things that are very, very raw and real. So kick back and get ready for a journey, a journey you will not forget. Welcome to Blondie's People. My name's Kedra Houseman, and these interviews are for Blondie's People. These are people that, if they'd been there for Blondie as a child, life may have been different. And people that, if I work with now, we could change the lives of children. This is going to be trigger warning from the beginning. Um, I'm going to talk to somebody who I've got too much respect for. Let me just put it that way. So nicely, who are you and what do you do? Nicely. Um, I'm Gemma Aitchison. I am a survivor, a campaigner, a very proud feminist, um, a working class girl, and I founded and run Yes Matters. We're going to look at Yes Matters a bit later on, but we're going to rewind a bit. So I like to tell people why they're here, and we just talked about this. I wanted to have a couple of survivors to talk with me through Blondie's people because it's important. It's important to know that survivors have a voice and it tells other people that are going through it that there's an, there's an end to what's happening. So, so many people have said that you're the person to speak to and that our stories may not be similar, but our attitudes are similar to what we went through, if that makes sense. So you are one of Blondie's people because if I worked with you now as a professional, we would change lives. We're going to change lives. If you'd worked with me as a child, I don't think you would have turned your back on me like many did. And that's why you're here. So I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, do you mind telling us your background and your story and, um, and how you got to this point? Um, sure. It's um, not a heartwarming story. So um, I'm a, a council estate girl and always have been. And um, being poor, food banks, that's normal yeah. for me. Um, so I think the first time I was sexually abused that I remember, I was six years old. Um, it was my grandfather's friend. Um, so that was the first time. Um, it then later on in life happened with my stepdad. Um, so when I was about about 15 um i just couldn't take it anymore so he, it started off things like whenever i went into the bath he would go into the attic and watch me um and then that turned into whenever my mum would go out because i was the eldest um he would you know take my mum drop her off at the pub to see her friends and then he would like grope me tell me to look at him things like that, um, kiss me in an inappropriate way, stuff like that. And it moved on from there over and over time to the point where 
whenever my mum was going out, I would dread him coming back. I've been there. Um, yeah, and but I never said anything. I didn't tell my mum anything. I didn't tell anybody anything because um, that's who my mum loves. So who's she going to listen to? Who's she going to believe? Um, so what I did instead was I told my best friend at the time, because, you know, teenage girls tell yeah. their best friends everything. And um, and I know this sounds cheesy and stupid. I, I realise that. But honestly, the reason I told her was because we were, <laughs> we were watching a Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode. Right. And because... You know, when you see all the horror movies, it's usually the pretty blonde girl. She's running through the woods in high heels for some weird reason. She falls over a twig. She can't defend herself. Her clothes fall, all that crap. Um, But Buffy wasn't that. She was, you know, um, the one who, yeah, the one who fought the monsters. Um, And I I told my best friend at the time. And then um, I ran away. Um, at first I ran to her house and then from there her parents helped me get in touch with a company who um, was called Bolton Young Persons Housing Scheme but it's now called Backup and what they do is they place you with like foster families to a certain point and then they'll put you in a property but you'll have a support worker yeah yeah um so but there was a waiting list for them so I spent the first six months on the waiting list which translated into me being outside BHS in Bolton, sleeping there for six months, and then going to my first family. And what was what age weird? Was what, what sorry? What age was you sleeping outside? Um, I, yeah, I was fifteen when I ran away, so I would have been fifteen. And um, when I went with the first family I went to, they were very. Um, like I was an inconvenience to exist so what I had to do when they went out when I got back from college I had to do all the housework and make the tea and stuff like that and because I I felt like you know these people are giving me a home I'm not in my family you, you just did as you told of course yeah and that's something that stuck with me from the stuff my stepdad did and the stuff that the guy did when I was six the idea that children are supposed to do what grown-ups tell them to do. If you're in trouble, you tell a grown-up because they will keep you safe. That idea is ingrained in our kids. So I just did that. So then when I lived with my second foster family, they were lovely. Um, they were called Ken and Syl and they had a disabled daughter and they were just lovely. And I remember coming back from college one day thinking, oh, this is the first time that I'm one of those people that's looking forward to going home yeah, yeah, instead yeah. of dreading going home. Yeah, I used to walk um, home slowly. I used to walk home slowly, deliberately. Yeah, um, and that, so that was, um, I, I would have been about 17 then, so that was the first time I'd looked forward to going home. And they, they were lovely. And then I lived in um, another property. And to be honest, the relationships I've had um have not been good either so like my first boyfriend was like 17 18 um sorry my son's just come in learn bud i'm just having yeah a I, talk. Understand. I know i know so c- could you leave please i'm talking about stuff i don't want you hearing about 
Go on, you smelly teenager. I don't like you. Go away. I've had to bribe my daughter to sit upstairs with her computer. I hear your pain. I normally don't. You normally doesn't want to be in a room I'm in, typically. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, like my first boyfriend was like 17, 18, and he guilted me into sleeping with him. Yep. Um, and his subsequent girlfriends have all been like a lot younger than him, even now, I believe. Um, and the last guy I was with, um, that was... A domestic abuse relationship and went on for a long time and because I was um, you know teaching kids about respectful relationships and talking about consent and respect and boundaries I felt like a fraud oh like I couldn't say anything to even the women I was close to because I thought I'm gonna be like a fraud if I say that so that was another way to keep me compliant oddly um so I finally um got away from him but that was only once he'd raped me that I did and so that was that was a couple of years ago now and he lives around the corner but of course being a council estate girl you can't just transfer to another house no. there's an eight-year waiting list you can't do that um, you're not allowed to change the locks even though he's got a key because that's not in your tenancy agreement. Oh, sorry. No, do you know what, Gemma? I mean, and I, I, I went like that and I pulled it. So they don't know, people don't know how often we have to relive our trauma every single day that no one's got a clue, okay? When I was in um, my relationship, I lied to everyone because I thought, how can I tell them? I'm out here teaching kids and giving speeches. I couldn't understand why it was happening to me. And then now I still have to relive that every time he rocks up around. You know, just, I, 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 well, yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, it's, it's that trap, isn't it? It's that it's because you're powerless, being powerless. Yeah. It's, it's being powerless and it's knowing that. So um, the people who live next door to me, so even though I live on a council estate, some of the houses have been sold, you know. Oh, yeah. the, the people who live next door to me have bought their house. And um, we, we had a flooding issue in our back gardens once. And they couldn't understand, they couldn't comprehend that I, when I told them, yes, I know there's flooding. I've rang them and they said, it's not an emergency. Someone might get back to me within 12 weeks. And they couldn't comprehend that that's just how it is. It isn't like, you know, if they ring or someone comes around straight away, that's not how it works. And they just couldn't get that, you know, that you don't matter. You're poor. So, you know, get what you're given and stop complaining. So, um, when I rang the council estate that owns the place I live in, I had to disclose to about eight people over and over and over again whilst they transferred me to a different department, then a different department, then a different department, until I got to some guy called Steve who said, 
no, again, I, I'm sorry about your circumstances or if you regret things or you're going for a break, but, but no, you can't change the locks. It's not in your tenancy agreement. And just so you know, um, we will get a welfare officer to come round and check within the next six weeks. And if we find you have changed the locks, you will get a fine. So yeah. But how 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 did that make you how did that make you feel, right? Knowing that they were allowing you to be vulnerable to your abuser. It it did what um the benefit scum social idea always does. It tells you you don't matter. And it does what society tells women, you don't matter. It doesn't matter what your experiences are. You, you, you're just an object, you don't matter. So that it just reinforced that idea. But I am a slippery bugger, so what I did was I swapped the front door and the back door because technically I didn't change the locks. I changed the doors. So I got around it. Um, but, yeah, I, I can definitely identify how the grooming and stuff from when I was younger and the last relationship with a man that I had, I can I can see how one has led me to the other, or rather one has prepared me for the other. So I have complex PTSD from being a survivor of um, child sexual abuse and stuff, and I can recognise the symptoms of it whenever anything goes wrong, even if I've had nothing to do with it. I immediately turn into a 10-year-old girl thinking I'm in trouble. Or if uh, I'm going to say something or disclose something, I'm getting them into trouble, I'm causing trouble. And you're immediately back there. And you can't help it. No. Um, I, went to, I went through all the loops of... Um, trying to access mental health care through the NHS because obviously I can't pay for private. And I um, got a referral from my doctor to get a phone call, to phone a number, to be told that that's the wrong number, to be told I have to go back to my doctor, to do that, to get another referral, to ring another number to get a letter, to ring another number, to get another letter, to ring them, to get an assessment over the phone, to get a letter, to ring them, to get a letter, to go to an assessment, to get another appointment for her to say, well, you've got caring responsibilities, so I don't really think we should tackle this right now because you've got things you need to do. So that was fun. <laughs> I'm not kidding you, right? Um, there's only a few people that know my my core story. As you're talking, there, my best friend, if she when she watches this, she'll just be nodding because everything you're saying is is happened to me uh, completely. So it makes me wonder how many other women are out there like us that have been through stuff as a kid and are still having to relive it now. Like I've been single for six years, I'm never getting a relationship again because I only attract idiots. Like, I'm telling you now, I only attract bad people, so I'm just going to be single forever. So I wonder how many women are out there like us, living and just can't reflect in the way that we can and can't identify it. It must be horrifying. Well, I, I'm completely weird with relationships as well. My friends actually, they take the piss out of me to a certain extent because if I like somebody, I can't talk to them. <laughs> I, as soon as I know that I like them, my brain decides 
that I'm a burden and should not talk to them because I'm bothering them immediately. That's me in every friendship, whatever, I feel like a burden. I often, I'm so, um, I keep myself away from everyone because I don't want to impose myself on nobody. And nobody's ever said that to me apart from the abused yeah. men I've been around. But my friends will say stuff. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm okay. I don't reach out for help. I just don't want to bother no one. Do you feel like that? Um, absolutely. Like, yeah. so much. It's, there's something ingrained in us that, that tells us you're not worth loving You're back. not good enough. Yeah, totally. Um, and to be honest, I don't think I'd have another relationship with a man again. Because if yeah. you look at the risks, it's more likely that they beat us up than give us an orgasm. So really, what, what, are, we bother- <laughs> what are we bothering for? Really? It's, it doesn't seem worth the effort this to off, me. This is off course of anything we're doing. I'm not going to cut nothing out. But um, do you know what I think as well is is that I was, I've, been, I've been groomed from a child by society of how I should be as a woman. I'm expected to get a partner and settle down so I can provide for my family. It's taken me years to realise that. Like all the guidance out there for me was to go and find a partner, a man, settle down and be a good housewife. Like, it's in, I've been groomed by society. Like, I don't want to do that. I fucking, I don't want to do that. And, and if you don't do that, you're looked at as if you're just a troublemaker, I guess. Well, um, I mean, I call my son my compo baby. He's my compensation for being with his dad. Um, although the wedding cake was good. I'm a big fan of cake. Um, <laughs> like best bit of it was the cake. And I don't know. I, my, my major concern on how women and girls are groomed and stuff is the gender stereotypes. I am massively against gender stereotypes hugely um so i i learned started learning about gender stereotypes specifically sexual objectification of girls and women because um so in 2013 my little sister was raped and murdered by a man and um when we were in his trial in preston there were, there was, you know, it lasted two weeks, but when he came into the dock, he referred to her as it and that. What, in the dock? When, yeah, not her, not she, it was it and that. And something in my head sort of went, you've got male friends that you love, that when we're sat in a pub, you know, in the summertime in a beer garden, a pretty woman will walk past and they'll go, oh, check that out. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, what's that why did it why did they both do that why does men i love have something in common with this man who's done this that, and that you? is where i started to learn about sexual objectification and what that meant and what gender stereotypes were and every newspaper i see everything i go through every news story always has that same shit at the heart of it the idea that men are supposed to be dominant and in control and that women are supposed to be sexual objects that they are entitled to and that should be submissive. The object should serve the needs of the subject. That is in every domestic abuse story, every terrorism story, every murder story, 
every child sexual abuse story, every politician who's been a dick and refuses to apologise or won't wear a mask because it makes him think he's less manly. Like, it's in every single shitty thing in the world, these gender stereotypes. Yeah. And I'm dead set against them. Growing up, I mean, I don't know how it was for you, um, I suppose, because our exploitations were different, but um, I was dressed up, you know, um, the, the people, some of the people that exploited me, they would dress me up, they put me in like really small shorts, I was a, like a young teenage girl, and I was taught to dance, to act, to come across in that kind of way, continuously, if that makes sense. Yeah. That gender stereotype was applied to me daily, so it became ingrained of who I am. Yeah. What did you... So what did you start to learn about yourself when you started get when you started learning about uh, gender stereotypes and feminism? What did you learn about yourself? Um, so I took a look in my past and I so after I had my son. Um, so I only then was I not what I was supposed to be. So I had my son when I was 21 and you're supposed to be. Um, young, thin, white, pretty, all that. So only once I had my son um, was I not like all the women on telly, all this, all that. So I didn't really notice it until I wasn't it. Yeah. Um, and I was encouraged, you might call it, um, to get into burlesque. And I did that for um about because i could see that my husband at the time was um well as his mum put it i wasn't what he needed me to be his mum yeah she's uh you know what let's just pause for a second right i need to raise this why would mothers because i've i've right why would mothers even educate their boys in this way like my sons i've got two sons my sons are raised as feminists i'm not going to put there's another way to put it my boys are raised a certain way when you when you go to the parent of your partner to say or raise whatever it is how can they think it's acceptable to kind of put the blame on you as another woman i just i think um with with this particular instance i think it was like a generation sort of thing like she would you know, when they woke up in the morning, it was to breakfast in bed and like they'd come home and their room had been immaculately cleaned and there was dinner on the table and all that. Um, we don't have the same points of view about life, shall we say. So I think it was sort of an element of that. And you felt that you had to get involved in, in burlesque to try and meet his needs? Uh, well, it wasn't. It wasn't just to meet his needs. I thought that that's where I got myself worth back. Okay, I see. Um, and this idea that girls get their self worth from male approval and the male gaze, you know, is everywhere. And so when I describe sexual objectification to um, young girls that I work with. I describe it as, so um, say that you're the iPhone 5 and you have the best camera and the best this and the best that, but the iPhone 6 comes out. It doesn't matter that you're a really great phone. That man will discard the iPhone 5 because there's an iPhone 6 here now. And that's what men do with women. It doesn't matter if you're the most beautiful woman in the world. If a new one walks past, you know, Jessica Rabbit's boyfriend is going to want Britney Spears if she walks past. Yeah. And the problem isn't that you're not 
good enough the problem is that you're being treated like an object and objects are replaceable they're disposable and that's the problem um one thing i spoke to a young person i support recently i said to her you know she was saying oh i don't look like this i don't look like that and i said well you know the program love island all the women on there they look amazing and perfect the men don't really treat them very well though do they so maybe it doesn't matter how you look maybe the problem is whether the person is disrespectful to others or they're not absolutely i think corporations have a lot to answer for like yeah. they make a lot of money from selling this idea that we're supposed to be this this and this but they don't take any responsibility for what that message does they just take the profit from it i actually got um asked to leave a marks and spencer's shop when um i asked the woman so that there had been a case where a teenage girl's red furry thong had been held up in court pretty and you're going to talk about it y'all um no it was actually marks and spencer's and it, yeah. it was um they, they had a massive window display yep. um this season's must have this red furry thong and i went in and asked them should they not put a sticker on warning this could mean that you're asking for your own rape they didn't like that very much i wrote a blog about it and i put the blog up it's exactly the same thing this is weird right and um, i was contacted but not by marks and spencers by an independent person who told me to take it down and i'll send you the blog and it, it's weird that you went and said that and i wrote it and i didn't care because it because they held up knickers and said but she was wearing these so she must have been asked to be raped the fact is though I work with young girls that are sexually abused or, or raped and one of the questions that is asked by the police when I'm there is what were you wearing? It's still the question that was asked like they're not then what the fuck does it matter what anyone's wearing like you get raped because someone's a rapist and I teach that to my to my girls but at the same time it's out there isn't it that people are putting the blame on us. Well yeah it's it's always our fault oh, and I've no, I noticed when there was there was a rapist, um, I think it was towards the end of last year, it was a, a Manchester rapist. And what he did was he invited drunk men and said, you can come stay over at my flat if you want, if they couldn't get a taxi home. Nowhere in any of the reports did I see, well, what are you doing going back to his flat when you were drunk? What did you expect? Nowhere did it ask whether those men were promiscuous in their lives. Nowhere did it ask what they were wearing. There was no warning going, men, don't go out at night to the pub because you might be raped. None of that was there. In fact, some of the men that had been raped by him didn't even know. The police went and knocked on their door and told them, you've been raped, but don't worry, we've caught him. When does that happen for women? Doesn't. It doesn't, the, you know, and... We have to go to trial and relive our trauma and prove and, and, and talk about what we were wearing that night to even get it to, if it even gets to Crown Court, if it ever, and if it ever does get that far, the likelihood of anyone going to prison for it is extremely low. I don't, I don't know the actual figures on me, but I, I know it's extremely low. It's um, currently between 0.3 and 0.11%. Um, I, I wrote um, a paper for, well, she was at the time the Shadow Minister for Equality. Um, and I, I did empirical research for four years on how sexual objectification of women affects their access to justice. 
Yes. And I read case after case after case. Um, this is what consensus in the law. This is how it plays out in the courtroom. All these things. Um, I sent it to them. I, I didn't get any response from oh, it. Um, but essentially, rape is pretty much legal in this country. And if you want to find abuse of a woman or a child or a teenage girl goes missing, the first place you need to look is Pornhub. Oh. And it's all very well, men pointing over there at child brides. But when you're going on Pornhub looking at barely legal teenage girl, you are no different, mate. We had a conversation, you're going to see um, um, a, a video go out with Rachel Bell. And we have a conversation up at Pornhub and I tell her about the fact of, as a teenage girl, I was shouted at by men out of vans my whole life. Like my whole teenage life I was shouted at. And then one last year I was walking along and there was a girl in a uniform. She, she, was, she was in school uniform, right? She was walking to school. She was a good 14. No makeup on, just with hair. And these builders, they just slammed their brakes on and they was like, look at that, and hey, hey, blah, blah. And I went up and I had my daughter with me and I banged on this window, I just lost my shit. I was like, do you know you're a paedophile? Do you know you're a paedophile? How old are you? And he was like, what, what, what are you saying? I said, well, you can see she's in school uniform, so she's obviously a child. And you're, and I just, it, everything just come out. And when I called him a paedophile, the shock, the people around us were like, how can she say that? But no one had spoke to him when he called the kids. Yeah, it just—it's there's a there's a thing. Um, it's it's like they're fine with doing the actions, but they're not okay with the label. So they're fine to force a girl or to guilt a girl into sleeping with them, and they know she doesn't want to, but they're not a rapist. We're okay to not pay for our children, but I'm not a bad dad. I'm all right to wank over girls that aren't legal, but I'm not a paedophile. It's like, do they know that it's a penis and not? A magical cloak that all accountability and responsibility just bounces off. That's that's not how it works. It's not magic, and it, it's it's constant. And I get I get to all the time if I see something on Facebook. Like I've seen recently, lip filler parties for little girls, pole dancing parties for little girls, and I'm like, and I'll comment underneath in my. Boltonian charm way um yeah why why let the paedophiles do all the work do the grooming for them and that, that is that is what I'll say because I don't understand how you can like have an eight-year-old girl copying the pussycat dolls and not see how that's grooming I just don't Absolutely. get it I think my biggest problem is is that because we've been through certain situations and we know how men's or people's minds work paedophiles minds work why would we make it any easier for them to put it out there on Pornhub you know one of the biggest searches is daddy's little girl or first time with daddy or something like that you know if you click that and watch that there's something wrong well, I'm saying this whoever's watching this if you click and watch that there's something wrong with you like you need you you've got problems you need to not be around other humans because you obviously are seeking out something very deviant however People don't see it like that. They see it as fantasy, don't they? And see it as the the things that I find really interesting is we label pornography empowering, right? That's that's what the the con is that the porn is empowering, right? But if you also notice that women's abuse are also porn categories, yes. <laughs> so you basically you can abuse us but as long as you film it and let other man wank, wank over it it's labeled as free speech and entertainment 
And if you also noticed, they can't take um, porn down and they can't take, you know, revenge porn or child abuse porn down because they, they don't have the capacity to do that. But if you put a Disney film up or you've got someone's song playing in the background on your YouTube video, it's done within two minutes. It's almost as if they could do it if they wanted to. If they wanted to. Hmm. I like, I like your attitude towards this stuff because I don't feel like I'm alone anymore because I'm usually branded the troublemaker, the big mouth, but I think I've just found somebody who would stand with me and go, you're a prick, and, and not even think. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> One yeah, there's a reason my friends don't come out close shopping with me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> You've achieved a, a lot of things, but one of them is around um, sex education in schools. So tell me what your part is in that. Um, so when I was um, thinking about what happened to my sister and I wanted um, to prevent it happening again. So for me... Um, that was the first campaign that I did and it comes from if I'm honest a place of guilt because the big sister is supposed to protect and whilst I understand it, it was his actions that did it it's sort of a heart and head thing my head knows that you know he did that to her because she was a teenage girl and they're seen as sexual objects that's why he did that but my heart tells me you didn't protect her you should have protected her yeah so to try and stop that from happening to other people's sisters i thought right well what what can i actually do about this situation so we need to look at the prevention of it how it's dealt with and um, rehabilitation for victims so i thought right prevention first so pretty much pornography is sex education in this country yep. pretty much is what it is and so I thought, well, that needs to change. We need a sex education that isn't a postcode lottery that is everywhere, that is about consent, enthusiastic consent, what consent means, what gender stereotypes are, uh, making sure that young people have critical thoughts. So they're like thinking, well, who does that message benefit? Is it actually good for me? Is it not? Um, and so that then they have healthy relationships with themselves and others. I get accused of man-hating a lot, um, to which I say I, I hate rapists and paedophiles. The fact that the men is your fault, it's not my fault. That's what I said. Um, honest to God, because I've got sons, so how can I hate men? I hate rapists and paedophiles. It isn't my fault that most of them turn out to be men. That's just not my fault. Yeah. Well, that, that, that sounds like something that's your problem, mate. Like, you know. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not a um, man-hater, I'm just pro I'm just pro not being raped and not having paedophiles around and I always say that. Yeah, I, I would say that I'm against um the male gender stereotype and I would say that actually if you look at it, men have exploited, objectified, raped, bullied, beaten, abused and held back women. And women have said, We don't like that, would you mind stopping? Who is the one that seems hateful here? Like, we're saying, oh, can you stop that, please? It's not nice. How dare you? How dare you not let us do that? Yeah, you're right. Um, the sex education so, for you was the, way, was the way to teach kids how to keep themselves safe and healthy? Well, I wanted to give them the tools, the knowledge, because, see, I, I don't believe that 
that kids are not full humans yet that there's this idea that that kids are like not quite adults so they're not full people yet whereas actually I think they are exactly people and you know I know some 13 year old girls that take better care of themselves than 50 year old blokes it doesn't make any difference so um, I wanted to give them the tools the proper education about what healthy relationship with other people but also with yourself was Um, so I campaigned on that um, and the first protest I did, um, I so I started the community group Yes Matters and we had a protest all at the same time on the same day in Bolton, Manchester, Cardiff, Downing Street, Newcastle and Liverpool all at the same time. We got loads of petitions and stuff um, and I had previously met um, Ed Miliband and so I sent it all to him as well. And we did some work with Sarah Champion. And it took a few years, but we eventually got it onto the curriculum. It's supposed to be this year. Obviously, COVID-19 is not a feminist, but um, <laughs> we specifically, the, the round tables that we were involved in and the parts I was involved in writing were specifically about consent and gender stereotypes, representation in pornography. Um, Sorry, my dog's being annoying again. Um, so that was what I was res- the part that I was responsible for. And um, th- there was a lot of tokenism in it by some of the politicians that were there. A lot of like tick boxing to say that we give a shit about oh, stuff that okay. we don't. We just want to look like we care about. Um, and I just sort of said, well if you're not doing this then you're failing to protect young people and you have a duty of care um i think in a lot of the rooms i go into i possibly feel stronger about it than the other people that are in there and i'm seeing a very worrying trend from the victim blaming of women now to the victim blaming of children and i've gone into a few professional conferences i went to one last year and this woman she spent hours talking about how we need to to let children know they shouldn't accept gifts they shouldn't be doing this they shouldn't be drinking that they shouldn't be doing this and i put my hand up not popular in my turn i put my hand up and i said um can i just point out the majority of offenders are either family members or family friends so why would they not cuddle? Why would they not accept gifts? In fact, they get into trouble for being rude if they didn't do those things. Don't kiss your uncle goodbye. Yeah. So, um, and can I also ask why you're putting all the responsibility on the children? When are we going to talk about the fact that the problem is that men keep wanting to rape children? When are we going to talk about that? Because as long as we don't talk about the fact, and I will say facts, over 95% of the time, the problem is with men. So how do they go from being brought up mostly with single mums because dad tend not to bother, loving the mums, wanting to be superheroes, to all this, you know, yeah. domestic abuse, rape, sexual assault. How does that happen? Because until we acknowledge that is a fact, we can't look at why. And as long as we don't look at why, we're failing boys. We are because failing. We're, not, we're not preventing it. So 
when are we going to actually start talking about that and sort it out? It's not a gender neutral issue. No. So don't give me that. Safe to say, I wasn't invited back. Really? <laughs> yeah, no, sh shocking. I know, I, I'm lovely. Um, but that, that seems to be, there seems to be a refusal to even acknowledge that it's men doing this. I, I refuse to accept that the responsibility is laid on the child's shoulders. And when I do my talks and training, I bang it home. I'm like, why are we putting responsibility on the children? But when I'm in professional meetings now, and they talk about the child's role in their exploitation, and I start kicking off, and then people don't want to work with me because I cause trouble or whatever, when I'm actually pointing out the truth, I wonder if they're deliberately, uh, as professionals, excluding me so they haven't got a face of fact that by not helping our children, they're part of their abuse. That was quite savage for me to yeah. say on camera, but... Well, it's true. They're it condoning, is. enabling the perpetrator. That's what they're doing. Yeah. And they don't... The arse doesn't even talk to the elbow. That's the problem. Social services will tell a woman experiencing domestic abuse if she doesn't live, then she is exposing her children and neglecting her children. And then when she goes to family court, the judge will hold that against her. It's like, if, if you're going to be stupid, at least I'll be stupid together. I mean, can we at least have that? And the amount of child sexual exploitation jobs, like, you know, support jobs, why are they going to social workers? They're not qualified. It should be youth workers doing that. It should not be social workers. It's, it's just oh, so frustrating. And I, I do feel like there's a big gap, I think, in location as well. Like I, if I talk to a professional in London versus talking to a professional in Bolton, it's like I've got into a TARDIS and travelled back 20 years. I'm in Kent and we're about... 10 years behind London maybe more it's it's absolutely nuts and it's very frustrating and young people deserve better and it's not a case like you know um that I'm a man hater although obviously I collect the tears and use them as moisturizer but when I spoke <laughs> in European Parliament I did some <laughs> I did some research on violence against women and girls and how gender stereotypes are the heart of it. And I said, you know, the first acts of violence that a man does is to himself because he kills his emotional self because he knows that the only emotion that society accepts him showing is anger. Yeah. And that's also the reason we have high male suicide rates. And it's why they can't, they can't accept the word no because they see rejection as some, you know, they, they're not taught to, you know, emotionally developed they're not taught to regulate their emotions and then we as women we as women are then left with a society of broken men because that's what a lot of the men are and then we need to welcome them into our lives and into our homes and then when they do them crimes against us because they are crimes we're then blamed for not protecting ourselves because i know for a fact i was asked this question lots of times i bet you have why didn't you leave why didn't you stop it why didn't you leave so even as adults, the responsibility is put back to us once again. I, I don't understand domestic abuse. I, I think it should be not spoken about. I don't think it should be a real word. If you, if the person who done domestic abuse to me done what they've done to me to a stranger, they get nicked. So how the fuck it can happen in my house, but it's just domestic. It's just domestic. When I ring the police, they're like, well, is it domestic? I'm not saying they all say that, but domestic abuse shouldn't be a thing. If, if you are if you hit your partner in your home, you've you hit another human. And that's, I don't, I, the domestic abuse thing really bothers me. 
Well, yeah, and it's also, have you noticed, we've had this a few women a week dying. How long have we had that statistic? No. It's almost like, this is an acceptable state of affairs. Only because a few have died, only a few, only a few extra. Oh, only a few. And it's only women anyway. It's, it's, again, this idea that we're objects. So if we're objects, we're collateral damage. We're acceptable collateral damage. Obviously, so some women have died. Fine. Yeah, 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 exactly that. Tell me, so from all this, so this is what I've been <laughs> your story, to get it out, tell me and tell everyone, pretend I don't know about it, what, what's Yes Matters, so what's that all about? So um, I started it, um, I guess the place to start would be what happened to my sister because that's where it sort of kicked off. Mm -hmm. So my sister was 16, um, very annoying, didn't know how to blend her foundation into her neck and... <laughs> Um, We've all been there. Had terrible tasting friends, but she was, well, she was my little sister. And what she did, she decided um, she wanted to get a job in Blackpool. Um, and so she went to a hotel. Now, for people who don't know Blackpool, um, there's lots of hotels there. So for a teenager to get a cleaning job in a hotel there, it's not an unusual thing. It's oh, okay. like, oh, yeah. pretty, pretty normal because there's literally hundreds of them on the seafront so um it's like it's like brighton but dirtier <laughs> i guess that's blackpool um that is pretty much it it really is and it it's high in um child sexual exploitation a lot of the strip clubs have underage girls in there yeah um, so she went to this hotel, and this was owned by um, a woman, her daughter, and her daughter's boyfriend. So she, it was a daughter's boyfriend. He, he, he was called David Minto, and um, she met him through her friend. Now, unbeknown to my sister, um, he had tried to rape her friend previously. But her friend didn't say anything because she thought that her boyfriend would be mad at her if she said anything. So she didn't say anything. Um, he had also um, raped a girl the year before and told the police, but he didn't go anywhere. Obviously. No, obviously, yeah. So again, because society had failed to listen to women and girls, my sister was the next in the firing line. So she went round, she did um you know a trial and stuff and then she went back two days later to start her job um i will get upset when i say this next bit because i can't not. okay and you don't have it's, to say it if you generally if you don't want to then you it, it's important because the reality is it took four hours for her to die he stabbed her 68 times he raped her then whilst she was still alive he answered the door to my mum who asked where she was he told her she'd already left got turned on by that came back downstairs raped her again then dragged her outside set her on fire genital first so he could hear a scream and then finally slit her throat That happened because she was a teenage girl, not because of anything she did. 
it's also not something that she could have identified out of because that is a fucking insult that happened because girls are targets of sexual objectification and that is why that happened no other reason so after that happened i wanted it to not happen to anybody else to anybody else's sister and i can't save the girl that i want to save and that is something that i'll always live with but i wanted there to be a place where girls were listened to where if people didn't listen when they said such and such person did this and i couldn't tell my boyfriend i wanted somebody to be there i wanted to be a good big sister to all the other young people that were experiencing those things who felt like that they were being sexually objectified i wanted to build a platform to argue with society to stop sexually objectifying girls to show that it wasn't just profit that came out of it, that there is real harm that comes out of it and that there needed to be accountability for the people making messages and making profit out of essentially what I call, what I think of as child grooming yes. our young people. I wanted to make a change. I wanted to remember victim rehabilitation instead of forgetting it all the time. And I wanted to hold people account to who were putting these messages out there in the first place. To places like Zoo Magazine and Pornhub and Max and Spencer's and the diet industries and all the adverts and the lip filler parties and the pussycat dolls. I wanted them to be held to account and say, it doesn't just buy you a Rolex, it also has all this on the backs of it and as far as i'm concerned you have blood on your hands as well and i wanted to change the world and what i've learned over the past seven years is that the world doesn't really want to be changed not a lot of it she wasn't the last person it's another young girl every week Every other day, there's another girl, there's another family that I see on the TV, surrounded by a lot of press hounding them. I've been in that situation. And I remember my sister's funeral, it was very public and there were a lot of press and stuff. And when we were in the hearse, all these people just came out of the shops, through flowers, you know, through the town. And I just thought, I can't understand how people can care so much, but then when you try and change it, they just defend it. Why did it take for her death for them to see her? Because I suppose, again, it's that accountability thing, isn't it? It's those men are fine going in strip clubs, wanking over teenage girls, but they don't want any accountability. It's, again, the action and the label. But the thing is, is that I am very stubborn and very gobby and I will go into meetings and I will be the unpopular one and the one that no one wants to work with. And I'll go on onto the website and I'll still get a ticket for the next event and I'll keep saying it until they feel so ashamed that they're forced into doing their job properly. And I won't give up. And 
for every young girl who is groomed into thinking that she's worthless and she doesn't matter i will be that seed and that plant inside her head whispering to her but what if i am what if i do matter what if what i have to say does count and i won't stop doing that no matter how many rape threats i get or pathetic tiny little dick pics i get that i then have to send to your boss and your mum and your girlfriend i don't care how many times i get taught call the man hater I don't care. I'm going to carry on doing that because if people won't do what they're supposed to do, I'll do it my bloody self. So that's what I've done. Anyone watching this, like I said, that knows me, knows that's exactly how I operate and I don't give a, I don't give a fuck. I just, I will never, the, the problem is for me and I, I'm going to try not to get upset because, right, um, you couldn't save the girl that you wanted to save. For me, all of this is is because I couldn't save Blondie, me, but I can't take away what happened to her. No matter how many of these videos I do, no matter what happens, the fact is, is that she told people and she was blamed and ignored. So I can't save her, but what I can do is I will make this country, this world, a fucking safer place for my daughter. And when she speaks, people will listen. And I've told her many, many times that she tells on anyone that harms her, including me, if I ever cause you harm, you go and tell. I think that we're trying to save people that can't be saved is initially how we started, but now I just think we're on a fucking rampage. I think um, for all the times I get called a man-hater, I think that men are lucky we want equality and not revenge. Fuck. Fuck That's what yes. I think. And I think... Um, I was watching a Zoom a couple of weeks ago and one really interesting sentence that really stuck in my mind was that the term vulnerable wouldn't exist without exploitation existing. And the fact is that oppression is literally a man-made thing. That's and I just deep, doesn't it? To say it like yeah, that. It is. Um, and, you know, with, with all the people that give me shit and stuff, I have um, a not all men bingo in my kitchen, you know, all the typical things they say. And if I get four in a row, I get to eat a Snickers after tea. And if I get eight in a row, I get to have some wine. So I take one because I get some horrible oh. things said to me. So I'm going to do that. And then I reward myself with cheesecake, which I'm allergic to, but I get it for the bingo. <laughs> You, you should definitely have a not all men bingo. And also, when a man sends you a dick pic, you should send him a picture of a used sanitary towel back. They do not like it. <laughs> they will not send you one again. You're like a genius. Uh, well, it's not, it's not my first day. How to say that? <laughs> I have one last question for you. It's a big question, but it's the reason why we're getting, why we've gone through all of the emotion we have in the past hour. What needs to change, Gemma? What needs to change so nobody suffers like Blondie, like her sister, like you and me? What needs to change? Um, so what needs to change is there needs to be something, um, something in the rules about sexual objectification, whether that be in advertising or what, even, you know, from Primark to the diet industry, from TikTok to Facebook, whatever, there needs to be accountability. Um, and if, and the, even if it was the case of 
every every clothing brand like I don't know Boohoo or whatever with their adverts advertising tits rather than tops they need to you know be fined every time they do something like that and that needs to go directly to services for young girls with eating problems young girls in domestic abuse relationships you know things like that the second thing that needs to happen is we need to start listening to women there needs to be accountability in the justice system because frankly it's a joke most of the laws in this country were made before we even had the vote and it's it's just ridiculous there's there's no accountability for when a judge is saying things like oh well she should have just kept her legs shut where's the accountability for the judges whether it be in criminal court or family court that have these attitudes where where's the penalty for them being dickheads there isn't one there isn't and that needs to change otherwise we just need to start teaching our girls like you know how to cut nuts off at a thousand paces and then maybe maybe it'll change but (laughs) We need to have a justice system that's fair, accessible for all citizens and not just, you know, the bro protecting bro club because I'm sick of seeing it, like, seriously sick of seeing it. And the third thing is, is victim rehabilitation. So we have a lot of perpetrator rehabilitation inside where they are actually allowed to put pornography up on the cell, cell wall, by the way. So they need to be addressing sexual objectification inside but there also needs to be victim rehabilitation because i can't get rid of my complex ptsd because apparently because i'm a carer i shouldn't be doing that but i shouldn't have to go through the rest of my life feeling worthless or like i can't have good relationships because i don't think i'm worthy of one or having all these things in my life that i have to battle with that make my life harder because of something that someone chose to do to me there needs to be more focus on victim rehabilitation as well and yeah. not just perpetrator rehabilitation. Um, I, especially when, when it happens in the family, you usually get um, family estrangement because they'll usually pick sides. That's yeah. also something yeah. that needs addressing. And stop putting fucking social workers into the child sexual abuse things. Stop it. Just stop if it. anyone's watching, just stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I wonder. I mean, I don't think people are going to be too happy that me and you are speaking together. I'm really hated by a lot of people, but I'm also loved by the right people. To be fair, to be fair, I'm talking about not being liked. The people that I want to like what I'm saying do like what I'm saying, and everything you said has made me just blown away. It's like I've just met my alter ego, and I'm like, should we just go and just take over the world? Shall we just do that? Well, if you want, you, you can come to my area and sort them out and I'll come to your area and sort them out. <laughs> if the changes were even slightly um, implemented, everything you said there, I think I agree with, if they were slightly implemented, ch- stuff would change. More women would speak out about rape. More girls would speak out about their um, abuse. If they knew that they'd be treated fairly and just in court, it would change everything men would be held accountable. It's mad that me and you've got to sit and have this discussion, isn't it? It is. And I think if, you know, the world was more influenced by social justice and less influenced by pornography, then the world would be a much better place. Agreed. The chances of changing taking place is only going to happen if enough of us talk about it. 
enough of us stamp our feet about it. So my hope is with Blondie's people is people will see that it isn't me and you just saying it. I've got a whole Dumbledore's army behind me saying exactly the same thing. So no, they can ignore me as a child or they want, they can ignore your sister and they can ignore you, but they can't ignore all of us. They can't. And that's my hope anyway. If, if we all shout together, we're more likely to be heard. And it can sometimes feel a bit like there's just been an earthquake and you're there with one dustpan and brush trying to clean it up. And I know there can be days like that. But there can also be days when if you, if you get involved in some, in some radical feminist groups or go to a conference like you did or something, it, it can just remind you that you're not on your own. Yes. And that it can be done because if we look at history, I mean, we've recently had coercive control chains. We've recently had some amazing campaigners. We can't consent to this. They've just stopped the whole, like, even when they kill us, they were trying to blame us for it. Like, come on. So, you know, we can make changes. We can. Um, We just have to keep going, keep fighting and keep being gobby. Keep being gobby. Is that an order, Gemma? Because if that's what you're telling me to do... That's what I'm I, I, I am happy to be the person who's referred when, when you're being gobby and you just like take it up with Gemma. She told me to do it. I'm okay with that. I'm going with that. <laughs> Gemma, I think anyone watching this is going to come away feeling a bit of fire in their belly. That's what I hope anyway. And it's been mad to interview you. Are you glad that you spoke to me? Yeah, absolutely. It's been really nice to... Um, online meet you online meet me <laughs> yeah Gemma. Uh, and hopefully see you at philly next year oh god absolutely can you say goodbye to everyone who's watching uh yes goodbye and stay strong